Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles with you, Matthew chapter 8. And as you're turning there, give you a little glimpse into our home life. Uh, we often send our youngest daughter, Ainsley, who's seven, up to wake up the other kids because she tends to be the first one up. Um, Gibson wakes up pretty early, but he stays up in his room and, and reads for a long time, loves to read. But it, we'll send Ainsley up and we'll say, go wake up the big kids. She runs upstairs and she comes down and she's all upset. They won't listen to me. They told me to get out. And we'll ask her, did, did you tell them that mom said to get up or dad said to get up? Did you tell them that we said to get up? No, I just told them to get up. I said, okay. Go back upstairs and tell them that mom or dad said they have to get up. And usually within a few minutes, some groggy kids come down the stairs and ready to start the day. Now, what's the difference? The difference is that authority matters. And we tell Ainsley, we, we tell all our kids, you know, we hope that your brothers and sisters will listen to you out of love. But you need to understand something. You're not in authority over them. And so they, you're not their parent. They don't have to listen to you. But when you tell them that mom or dad says to do this, now they are not disobeying you or disrespecting you. We say they're disrespecting us as their parents. And that's a different thing. Authority matters. And I think the problem is we come to Scripture, and there is authority all over Scripture. Scripture itself is in authority over us. It describes the authority that God has as maker and creator and sustainer and sovereign over all things. Describes the authority that Jesus has as co-equal with God and our ultimate Savior. And so there's authority all over the pages of Scripture. And yet in our world today, authority is practically a bad word. It's almost like a swear word. You, you can't have authority. Authority is by necessity evil in our culture today. What's interesting, as I look at this and I study it, is that it doesn't actually get rid of authority. If anything, we've created a new and greater authority. By saying all authority is equal, what happens is where does the authority go? Well, it goes from leaders, governors, a god, a savior, to right here and right there. We, each one of us, become the ultimate authority. So in our effort to get rid of all authority, what we've done is just claim all authority for ourselves. And in the passage that we look at today, in this first part of Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at the powerful authority of Jesus Christ. And let me catch you up with some context here about where we are. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew tends to flip-flop between teachings of Jesus, kind of a big section on teaching, to a big section on Jesus' life or actions or works, kind of interacting with people in the world. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the most prominent passages of teaching in the, in the book of Matthew. And in that 
sermon, Jesus confronts the people's ideas about God, their ideas about life, their ideas about the Old Testament law, and he challenges each and every one of these things and says, this is what it's like to live in the kingdom of Christ. You must follow me from your heart with good intentions, not good enough to just go through the actions. We have to set our heart on heaven. Our ultimate goal, our ultimate desire has to be the glory of God and God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. And so now we've come out of that. And at the end of the sermon, Matthew tells us the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So so we've just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's just finished telling us about it. And he records this response of the people. This guy has an authority we've never seen before. And Matthew takes that theme of authority now, and he's going to give us three pictures of Jesus's authority in his interaction with the world. But how do we know Jesus has true authority? Because again, we come to authority with suspicion. Well, all authority is by necessity bad and evil and wrong. So if Jesus has authority, well, I'm not going to be taken in. You, you got to prove it to me. And Matthew says, okay. So let's look at the proof of the authority of Jesus Christ. In these chapters, we're just going to look at 1 through 17 of Matthew 8, but really 8 through 10 is a section that goes together following the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll look at that section over the next couple of weeks as we pick our way through it. But today we're going to look at the powerful authority of Jesus. And one thing we see right away is that Jesus has the authority to make us clean. We're going to look at this first miracle in verses 1 through 4, and you're going to be introduced to a man with leprosy that comes to Jesus. And before I read it, I want to put some thoughts in your head so that as we read it together, you you kind of have the gears turning already. Leprosy, in case you weren't aware of this, it was a general name for many different diseases of the skin. These were not minor irritations or rashes. They were horrible infections. And the person with leprosy endured often great agony as the disease ate away at their flesh, often to the point of having fingers or toes, hands or feet die and possibly even fall off. It was a horrific disease. And as bad as that was, one of the worst effects of leprosy was that the infected person had to stay completely separate from society. And as I was thinking about this, you know, some jokes popped into my head about social distancing. And I thought, you know what? It's not even close. As we start saying, oh, I can identify, you know, we've been socially distant. No, not even remotely close to what we're going through today. By far, what they went through was worse. The infected person, everywhere they went, had to call out to everyone around, unclean, leper, I am unclean. They had to draw attention to their sickness everywhere they went so that people would know to run away, stay away, get out of the way. No one could touch this person. No one could live with this person. They were as socially isolated as they could possibly be. On top of that, people looked at them, glared at them. You're sick. You're gross. 
get away from me. They weren't allowed to go to the temple. They weren't allowed to participate in Jewish religious life. They were completely shunned and cut off. And there was no known cure. Sometimes people with various forms of leprosy would heal on their own. And God would heal them. And there were ways for them to go and present themselves to the priest to prove that they had been healed. But sometimes the leprosy was a life sentence. Now, I want to look at this passage. In chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Think of what it took for this man to come before Jesus in a crowd. Think about what he had to go through to get there. The stares of the people, the judgment on their face. The crowd kind of parting way for him. Probably all the while telling him he shouldn't have been there in the first place. And he comes and he kneels before Jesus. And look at what he says. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. There is so much about faith in that short phrase there. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He believes that Jesus can heal him. That's faith. But I would suggest that the first part shows an even deeper faith. You can heal me if you choose to heal me, but I know you can no matter what. If you are willing, he understands something I think many of us have forgotten today. Jesus will do miracles on his own terms and in his own timing. We do not get to manipulate the Son of God into performing miracles as circus tricks to convince us for our lack of faith. Jesus will do miracles on his own terms. We cannot demand them and we cannot force them. And look at what Jesus does. Verse 3, he reaches out his hand and touches the man. In just a few short verses, we're going to look at another miracle. And it's a powerful miracle because the person that Jesus heals is far away. Jesus never meets him, never sees him or her. We don't even know if it's a man or woman. But Jesus heals this person without even going. So here's a leper that you're not allowed to be around. You're certainly not allowed to touch. And how does Jesus heal him? He touches him. Now understand, that's not a minor detail in this healing. That is a massive detail. Jesus did not have to touch this person. He chose to do it. This man possibly had not been touched by another human for a long, long time. And the reason the Old Testament law forbid someone touching him was because that person in their leprosy was considered unclean. That's not just physically unclean, it's spiritually unclean. Wicked, sinful, awful. And anything that that person touched and anything that touched them would be infected spiritually and physically. And so there was no touching because if a priest touched him, 
that priest would have to stay away from the temple for a period of time and go through ritual cleaning because the infection would spread to the person that touched them. Now, why is that not the case with Jesus? Because of his power and his authority. Jesus has the authority to make something clean. And it is greater than the authority of that thing to make others unclean. You see where this is going? This is an ultimate authority. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Jesus makes a choice to heal. And he says, be clean, which is more than just be healed. It's be right with God. You can now go back to worship the Lord. You can go back to your family. You are cleansed of all of this sickness, all of this illness, both physically and spiritually. And the man is healed immediately. Miracles throughout the New Testament are proofs of Jesus' authority. Here, it's the authority over a disease they didn't understand and they couldn't do anything about. And yet Jesus, with a simple touch and a few words, banishes this sickness from this man's life. In the Old Testament, there are so many prophecies about the Messiah saying that he will heal people. He will take away disease. Later on in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sends people to Jesus to say, are you really the Messiah? John's given his whole life to prepare the way for this Messiah to come. And now he's in jail and it seems like he's having some doubts. Are you really the Messiah? Can you just help me out here? I need to know, are you really the Messiah? And it's interesting what Jesus says to him. He uses the words of Isaiah chapter 61 and he answers John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He says, go back and remind John of what he was taught since he was a little child about what the Messiah would do. And then look at what I've done. These miracles are proof of the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, there's another time where the religious leaders demand a miracle. And they tell Jesus, if you just do a miracle, we will believe in you, which is fascinating because they've witnessed many of his miracles and it made no difference in their faith whatsoever. And Jesus says to them, the only miracle you're going to see is my death and resurrection. And you're not going to believe even then. Friends, we have this idea that if we would just see a miracle, we would believe. History and scripture says otherwise. Miracles are not enough for faith. But they are solid evidence of the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what Jesus instructs this man to do. He is to go and to present himself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. There are pages in the Old Testament law about leprosy. And if you've ever read through the Bible or specifically read through the Old Testament law, this is the part that you want to skip. Because there are whole paragraphs about the color of scabs and skin and what it's doing. And it's gross. And we go, what in the world is this about? But what's interesting 
is that in these passages where they could diagnose leprosy and how bad it was, which, as I read it, is a profound grace from God that people that don't understand biology were given this gift to interpret the color of skin and know if this person was okay to be around other people or not. That's grace with people that had no scientific understanding. But in those passages, there was a way when the person was healed to go to the priest to be cleansed. But it's very confusing because it was if the person thought that he had been healed, he could go to the priest and be pronounced clean. But as you read it, you understand the priest wasn't making the person clean. The priest couldn't make the person clean. All the priest could do is affirm what God had already done. Now look at the passage. What has God done? God, Jesus Christ, has healed this man. And now the law, through the priest, can confirm it as another witness to the authority of Jesus Christ. I just want to touch on a few things we learned from this brief encounter. We need to understand that accepting that Jesus has authority means that we will submit to him and not the other way around. Believing, as this man did, that Jesus could heal him did not mean that he, get, he got to come to Jesus and make a demand. Because you can heal me, you must heal me. Look at my great faith, Jesus. You have to heal me. And I hope there's a part of you that kind of cringes as I say that, but I think all too often we approach God that way. Look at my sincerity, God. Look at what I've given to the church. Look at how fervently I'm praying. I demand that you give me a miracle. We need to come with this attitude that this man had. If you are willing, I know you can do this. The other thing... I think is powerful to take away from this. While I don't think we really struggle with leprosy in our lives, I think there are a lot of things that we hold on to in our own hearts and in our own lives that cut us off from the people around us, cut us off from relationships, separate us from one another, make us feel dirty, ashamed, unclean. And so often we we hold on to this lie Jesus cannot fix me. If Jesus has authority over the uncleanliness of leprosy, he has authority over what makes you unclean and separate. The powerful authority of Jesus is an incredible grace. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't just come to the leper and say, you know what, it's okay that you have leprosy. That's just who you are. Everybody, you just need to love this man and his leprosy. We just all need to adjust how we look at this man. No, he says, be clean. Jesus doesn't accept what makes us unclean and just make us feel better about it. He fixes it and he changes us. Let's look at another picture from this passage and look at how Jesus has the very authority of God. Now, in this next section, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus with a request to heal his servant. If you remember, the Romans came in and conquered the Jewish people, Jesus' people. 
They were living as a conquered people with Romans and Roman guards and soldiers and fortresses looking over everything they did. The Romans were the oppressors. The Jewish people were the victims. A centurion was a leader of 100 soldiers. They were considered the backbone of the Roman army. They received the commands, they transmitted it to the grunt soldiers and carried it out. They were highly respected. They did most of the training. They fought with their men. They were in the trenches, so to speak, with them, going over the wall with them. They were highly respected and powerful people. And so this man that is part of the oppressive force in Israel, part of the conquering nation, could, by law, order anybody, any Jewish man, to do just about anything, and that person could have been punished if they did not obey. And watch how this powerful man speaks to Jesus in verses 5 through 9. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Don't miss the incredible attitude of this man. You know, it's interesting. He, he states the problem. My servant lies at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus asks a question. Shall I come and heal him? I think Jesus is testing him. Because the typical Roman answer would have been, you must come with me now. He had every right to demand that of Jesus and much more. And that's not at all how he responds. And his response is so powerful. He talks about understanding a chain of command. I am under authority, and there are those under my authority. Now understand in the Roman Empire, when a centurion or anybody in the chain of command gave a command, it was as if it came from the emperor himself. So you, if you disobeyed your direct leader, it wasn't just disobeying that person. It was as if you were disobeying the emperor. When the centurion received commands, he obeyed it as if coming from the emperor himself. When the centurion gave commands to those under him, it was as if the directive came from the emperor himself. What this man is saying about Jesus' authority is profound. Think about what Matthew has already emphasized about Jesus. All the way back in Matthew chapter 1, in the Christmas story, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. So who is Jesus? He's God. What authority does Jesus have? God's authority. Hear this foreigner, this man who probably didn't know the Old Testament at all, had no concept of the prophecies, was part of this conquering force, understands that Jesus has the very authority of God to heal his servant. And if Jesus says, possibly miles away from the servant, that the servant is healed, then guess what? The servant is healed. Because the sickness must obey the authority of Jesus 
Christ. Think of the faith this man is demonstrating. He is, he is expressing something that nobody else understood. You have the very authority of God, he's saying to Jesus. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Dave, I think you're reading into this just a little bit too much. Look at the response of Jesus. And you tell me if you think I'm reading into it too much. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. It's like Jesus hits the pause button and he calls out to everybody around him, Check this guy out. Don't miss what just happened here because he understands something that the rest of you are missing. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed at that moment. Jesus is pointing out that the so-called religious people, these people that had gathered around him who thought their hearts were in the right place, the same people, many of whom had been challenged in the Sermon on the Mount, and they're thinking, oh yeah, we know God, we have a right relationship with God. Jesus is confronting them and saying, do you? Do you really get it? Do you get it like this guy gets it? Because he understands my authority, and I'm not sure you do. And he says in a profound warning that these people who thought they were religious and thought they were good and thought they were right with God will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says they will go to hell. Jesus spoke a lot about hell. It is a real place with a real purpose. And it is the ultimate consequence of not accepting the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's profound and it's disturbing that we are so hesitant to speak about hell today as Christians. And that so many Christian leaders and authors and theologians are doing away with hell. Because it just sounds so mean. But if hell is real, is it not unloving to fail to tell people about it? If hell is a real place with a real danger, aren't we harming people by not warning them about it? Jesus had no trouble warning people about hell. The difference between these so-called religious people who end up in hell and this Roman centurion that is held up as a great example of faith is that he had the kind of faith that believed in and accepted the authority of Jesus Christ. And then we have the great outcome. Jesus heals this man's servant without even seeing him, possibly from a great distance away. That's the powerful authority of Jesus. Jesus is not just some good religious teacher. He's not somebody we just tack on to our life along with other people that we really respect and follow and we just pick and choose and pull some things from what Jesus says and from what someone else says and what Oprah says and what Dr. Phil says and anybody else. No, Jesus is the 
ultimate authority. That's what the centurion understood that they do not understand yet. And I wonder, do we truly believe that Jesus has the ultimate authority of God himself? Because I think that would change how we follow him. One last scene that Matthew gives us in verses 8 through 14. And I've titled this section, The Cross Displays the Ultimate Authority of Jesus. And I want us to look at this brief section with a couple miracles listed in it because of the powerful implication that it has in verses 14 through 17. When Jesus had came, or when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what had spoken or what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Now, the first thing we see is that Peter, or rather Jesus, was at Peter's, the house of Peter's mother-in-law. Which right away, we need to understand something. Peter had a mother-in-law, which meant Peter was married. That kind of blows the minds of a lot of modern Christians. You know, this idea that Peter, as the leader of all the apostles, never married and had to stay celibate forever. It's not in Scripture. Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. That's the way it works. The other thing that's interesting is that Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Now, similar, not as bad, but similar to leprosy, the law forbade touching someone with a fever for similar reasons, to to keep the person from getting infected. How did Jesus heal the mother-in-law? He touched her hand. I just love the intentionality of our Savior. It's like he's telling everybody, watch this. I can touch this person. And not only do I not get sick, but because I'm stronger than the sickness, she gets healed. Watch what I will do. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Matthew tells us that Jesus heals many and he drives out demons. This is his powerful authority at work. And then Matthew quotes a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. And this makes sense. The Old Testament, Isaiah in particular, said that the Messiah would heal people, and Jesus did. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, you've titled this section, The Cross Displays the Ultimate Authority of Jesus. There's no mention of the cross there. Pastor Dave, I think you kind of blew this one. It's possible. But here's what's interesting. Isaiah chapter 53 is not ultimately about healing physical things. Isaiah chapter 53 is a prophecy about the cross. Let's look at it. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. That's what Matthew's quoting. This is the English translation of the Hebrew Bible. He's quoting the, the probably the Aramaic translation or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Words are slightly different, but that's where he's getting it from. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we 
are healed. That's not fulfilled until the cross. That's not about some healings, which are major to the people, but really don't have a profound impact on anybody else. This is about Jesus bearing all of our infirmities, all of our sickness, all of our sin, all of our uncleanliness on the cross. And some scholars have gone so far to say that Matthew kind of misquoted this. He's ripping it out of context and just applying it to this miracle of healing when really it should be about the cross. And Matthew kind of blew it here. I don't think Matthew blew it at all. I think what Matthew is doing is profound. What he's saying is these miracles are great. This healing is wonderful. The power and authority of Jesus is great, but all of them can only be truly understood in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because that's where the ultimate miracle occurs. That's where the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ was on display when he took all sin on himself and he died and paid the price for it. I think all of the miracles of Jesus are just bricks that hold up this huge, towering edifice of the authority of Jesus displayed and proclaimed through the cross and the resurrection. And friends, if we want to truly be healed, and I'm not just talking about physical things. Those are hard, and we want to be healed by them or from them. But we have a sickness that goes much deeper than that. And and isn't that what the sermon was all about? Jesus would talk about surfacey things, but then he would deal with the heart. And he was challenging the people to understand the sin came from deeper within. It wasn't just the action. It was from the heart and the attitude. So what do we really need healed? Healing our outward sicknesses, while it's wonderful, does not change our heart. The ultimate healing that Jesus offers is a healing of our heart and our lives from sin. And if we want to be truly healed, truly cleansed, truly restored in our relationship with God, we must submit to the authority of the cross. I believe too many people want to accept Jesus without truly accepting his authority over our lives. I think we want Jesus as a friend, as a buddy, as an encourager, as someone who gives advice. But I think we stop short and we don't really want to accept his authority. And the truth is, what we ultimately need is the authority. First, because we're really bad at it. We are bad at being an authority over over our own lives. I described earlier this trend throughout our our culture and our world. It's not just an American thing. It's around the world. But we've we've thrown off all authority and we've said that the only authority is the individual and what they want, how they view the world. And how's that going for us? It's a mess. We're bad at being an authority. Because we weren't meant to be an authority. See, the leper couldn't save himself. Peter's mother-in-law couldn't save herself. The centurion couldn't save his servant. The servant couldn't save himself. They needed someone with a higher authority. And so do we. 
And until we get to that point of falling on our knees and saying, you are God, I am not. I submit to your authority because I don't want that authority. I am not an authority even over my own life. Until we get to that point, we have to ask ourselves, are we really trusting Jesus? We need to be like that Roman centurion to understand that Jesus has the powerful authority of God himself. That if Jesus declares we are forgiven, we are forgiven. If Jesus declares through the cross and the resurrection we are saved, we are saved. If Jesus declares I am the way and the truth and the life, then he is the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus declares that in him we have life eternal, then guess what? We have life eternal. We should long for the authority of Jesus rather than try to sit in our own authority over him. So let me leave you with a question. Will we, will you accept the powerful authority of Jesus in your life? Will we live that out each and every day? Will we be careful for the many ways that we try to grab that authority back and claim it for ourselves? I pray that every day we would wake up and say, God, thank you for your authority in my life. Jesus, thank you for an authority and a power greater than even my sin because I need you in authority in my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would forgive us for the way we all too often are suspicious of authority, yours in particular, for the way we want to claim authority for ourselves, act and live in authority each and every day. God, I pray that we would understand there is healing and comfort found in submitting to your ultimate authority. And Father, I thank you for Jesus, that he came and demonstrated through these powerful miracles that he had authority over life and death, sickness and health. And God, may we look at these examples, not just as trite stories of healing, but to understand that you are pulling back the curtain of who Jesus is and the power that he has, and your kingdom at work in this world. And ultimately, all of these things show us and point us to the cross of Jesus Christ, where your ultimate authority is displayed even over sin and death. And God, may we submit to, believe in, long for, and trust that kind of authority in our lives. The authority of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.